0: Saints, it is an honor and a privilege to preach the word of God to you. We will be in the Gospel of Luke, so I encourage you to open up your Bibles to that blessed Gospel of Luke. Go to the 14th chapter. The title is Resting in Grace, and I'll read the text, starting at Luke 14:1. 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. <laughs> today, we were reminded of a problem that existed in Jesus' day, and we still have this problem today. Life is hard, and we need rest. Amen. <laughs> Y'all feel me? <laughs> Most importantly, we need to learn how to rest the right way. So, let's take it back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created and worked the heavens and the earth into the right place at the right time. And after working for 6 days, he rested on the 7th. Now, he could have did it all in one day, he could have did it in 1 second. He's God Almighty, amen. He is omnipotent he's omniscient he's omnipresent but he did it this way he worked six days and rested on the seventh maybe he was giving us the example to follow because the next thing he did was he commanded his image bearer man to do the same and so it was from the very beginning later when the commandments were given In the book of Exodus, God not only only demanded rest on the seventh day, but he commanded rest every seventh year. And then just to show how serious he was about rest, he commanded rest after seven cycles of the seventh year rest. He cares about rest, I mean. (laughs) What was the reason and the purpose behind these sabbatical laws. Well, scripture tells us that the children of Israel were to rest in remembrance of what God had done. He created the universe in six days and then rested on the seventh. We see that in this principle, the Sabbath is to be a day of rest, worship, spiritual edification, and fellowshipping. You were supposed to take care of yourself your family, your neighbor, and even your neighborhood. That's why God not only commanded his people to rest, but their servants, their animals, and even their land was commanded to rest. The seventh day rest brought rejuvenation for the soul and for the family. The seventh year rest brought revival to the community and after Seven cycles of the seventh year rest, the year of Jubilee, brought and ushered in a year of rebirth for the nation. You see, rest is good. The principles of the Sabbath laws are good, they bring goodness and justice to the world. The commandments aren't the issue, and neither is the one who gives the commandments. It's the ones who are called to obey the commandments. We are the problem. You see, everything that we put our hands on, every time we get involved with something, we add our touch and things aren't so good anymore, are they? (laughs) The Sabbath was given to be a rest from works and to be a relief from this hard life. The problem is we need to learn how to rest. We need to learn how to do it the right way. Some of us don't rest enough. Some of us call ourselves resting too much. <laughs> Some of us rest improperly. Others have a distorted view of rest. Well, Saints, our perspective needs to change. It needs to be refined and sanctified. Because if not, then we will continue living the Christian life exhausted by the unnecessary burdens that we carry. That's why I pray that in this church we come here knowing that in Christ there is rest for the weary. When we come here on Sunday, when we leave here on Sunday, when we go throughout the week, we still have Christ and we know that in him we find rest. Today we will receive that message from Christ. We will witness Jesus give a correct view of the Sabbath He will help us to have a right understanding of it, and he will also help us to apply the principle. In other words, we'll find out that Jesus not only gives us rest, but he shows us how to rest, even while we are working. All we have to do is trust and obey. I pray that we experience this reality in our church, our homes, our lives, that we walk away from this sermon, this message, this service, learning how to rest in grace. Amen, let us pray before going forward. Father in heaven, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts, that we may receive of your powerful, sufficient, clear word. Help us to know your will, help us to know your your nature, more of who you are, Lord, Help us to know that we can depend on you for all things. Help us to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing that i like to point out is that Jesus was never afraid of being faithful to God. I point that out because it's not so easy being faithful to God in 2023, is it? Jesus was unashamed of the good news. He lived the gospel in every way. He is the gospel. Amen? Amen. And even though he was surrounded by people who did not know the gospel and did not embrace the gospel, he was comfortable. (laughs) Even when it created tension, his holiness and his righteousness created tension, most people would feel uncomfortable in these situations, but not Jesus. He felt at home. In these situations, in in fact, in verse one, uh, we see one of these tense, uncomfortable situations. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. You see, Jesus was always able to read the room. He knew what was going on. The Gospels tell us that at many times he was able to read the minds and the hearts of the people in the room. He was never caught off guard. He was never surprised. Now, there's a lot of things he knew. He knew that mealtimes were important to his people, especially on the Sabbath. He knew that they loved to break bread and that they loved to fellowship and to talk and to sing about God. He also knew that the Pharisees didn't like him because he chose not to follow their ways. He knew that he gained a reputation for breaking certain rules of the Sabbath, and he knew that the Pharisees were watching him, scrutinizing, waiting for him to do wrong. He shows up to the house anyway and even with a target on his back, he shows us that he's not afraid of anything. (laughs) One commentator said this, it was a setup all the way. The place had been carefully chosen, the home of a prominent Pharisee where he and his notable guests could observe Jesus firsthand and then bear unified testimony to any and every transgression. Jesus was unbothered by the scrutiny that he received. In fact, I think it might have motivated him a little bit more. I think about the days when I was younger and I loved playing football and basketball. Back then, I was able to put my body on the line a little bit more than today. Uh, If I play football today, I'm probably going to try to bring out the flags. Uh, Touch football. I'm not playing tackle football anymore. Those days are over. (laughs) I put my body on the line back then, right? Uh, But I did it because I knew that people were watching. I was motivated whenever uh, my family and my parents would come to watch me. I did better whenever someone I knew didn't like me when they were watching me from the sidelines too, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then some of the fellas, y'all know, when you see the cute girl on the sidelines, you, you play a little bit better, right? You start, you start to pass a little bit less. <laughs> you get up a couple nice shots and you start to get your rhythm You feel a certain way because you know everybody's watching. Jesus knew that all eyes were on him. The world was watching. His disciples were watching how he would respond in this moment. The Bible tells us that the spiritual realm is watching us right now. Saints, do we live like this? Sunday through Sunday, are we remembering that God is always watching People around us are watching. The spiritual realm can see. Jesus lived this way. He lived in constant awareness of the testimony that he gave to the world. Now, the Pharisees did the same. They lived in constant awareness that people were watching them, but we see how they responded. They put on a good show. That's in one way we can definitely relate to the Pharisees. Many times we put on a good show in front of somebody. We come to church and make sure we're on our best behavior. When we're on the phone with church folk, people, we watch what we say. (laughs) Don't let us get around somebody that is not from the church because then we turn into a different person at times. (laughs) Don't let us be in the store when we know nobody around us knows us and don't let us be in traffic. I could go on. (laughs) (laughs) Many times we forget Our testimony matters. Do we live in awareness? The most hypocritical thing that we can do is to obey God to make ourselves look better. It's the most hypocritical thing we can do is to say, all glory to God when really we want all the glory. That's how the Pharisees lived. They didn't understand that true obedience is done with the right motives are we obeying God for the right reasons? Because if we pay attention to Jesus's motivation all throughout his life, we see that what mattered most to him was giving the world a God-glorifying witness. That's what mattered most to him. And saints, this is how we should approach scrutiny from the watching world. We need to stop focusing so much on offending people and being looked at the wrong way for being a Christian being looked at and hated for being holy you don't need to apologize for your righteousness god gave it to you god gave you a light to shine you don't need to be apologetic for that we are called to testify of his amazing grace we shouldn't feel sorry for that jesus never ran away from the scrutiny he embraced it. He made sure to live above reproach. And yes, I know that the religious crowd was out to get him. They scrutinized Jesus more than anyone else. But Jesus was able to follow God unashamedly because he found comfort and knowing that God was with him through it all. Amen? Amen. He was able to find rest on the Sabbath, even when the world was working overtime trying to take him down. He was able to find rest on the Sabbath, not because it was the certain day of the week, but because of the grace that was given to him by his heavenly father. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Yeah. Jesus walked with peace and comfort and rest in his heart even while being watched closely by his enemies, and I pray we feel the same. Point number one, the Christian finds rest, even in scrutiny. Now verses two through four bring us further into the conflict, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Again, Jesus knew that walking into this setting was a setup. The word behold, I just found that to be somewhat ironic. You see, behold is a command. It means listen, pay attention, don't miss this. But what comes next is impossible to mix, miss. Miss a man with dropsy walks in the room and comes before jesus the miracle worker how can you miss that now just so you know uh the commentators explain the sickness this way dropsy is a form of edema where excess fluid comes to various parts of the body it involves swelling due to the fluids building up in the tissues and the cavities of the person's body When a man comes in with a swelled up body like this and he gets close to Jesus, there's no need to say, behold, (laughs) this is just the obvious. (laughs) Everyone was watching Jesus, wondering how he would respond. I'm almost sure that's why the text says Jesus responded. Because they didn't ask him a question, but he was responding. Well, who was he responding to? Some commentators believe that the man, the sick man, was invited simply to provoke Jesus into breaking the Sabbath law. This was a setup. And <laughs> you may be wondering how could Jesus get in trouble for healing someone? What would make them want to provoke Jesus to, in this case, what they consider sin? Well, people hated him for the way that he associated with the sinners on the street and the way that he sympathized with people that they wanted nothing to do with. They complained that Jesus made it too easy to come to God and he went too far in helping people. They hated Jesus for loving too much. (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) They hated Jesus for allowing himself to become dirty for associating with the sinners. In reality, they hated Jesus for showing compassion because that's what he was doing. It made them look bad when he did this and it threatened their influence on people. And let me tell you this, a Christian that shows compassion is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Amen. I think about the story of John Goff from the early 1800s. Sometimes I like to go back and look at testimonies. I I like to go to Testimony Fridays in in the here and now, but sometimes you got to go back to Testimony Friday from the 1800s. He had a rough life. This man, John Goff, his mother, him, his mother, and his sister immigrated to the United States when John was 12 years old. And then his mother died of a stroke, and John became very depressed, and he started to pick up the habit of drinking as a young man. Eventually, John married in 1838, and the couple had a daughter, but unfortunately, both John's wife and daughter died within days of each other. By the age of 25, John was unemployed, homeless, and he was a confirmed alcoholic. Then one day he attended a meeting for people who wanted to quit being alcoholics. And what's crazy is he even walked into this meeting drunk. (laughs) Walked into this meeting to quit his alcoholism, but he walked in there drunk. Some of us can relate to that. Some of us walk into the church looking to be cleaned up. We come in here with the mess still on us. (laughs) Some of us can relate to this guy. Well, sure enough, John staggered into the meeting drunk, looking for change. A young boy named Joel Stratton, he put his hand on John's shoulder and he said, John, I really believe that you can give up drinking. I do believe it. I'm here with you. And in that moment, John was touched by the young man's compassion. With a trembling hand, John wrote a pledge. This is what they did back then. Today, we would just go on Facebook and post, I'm quitting drinking, right? (laughs) I'm done, I'm done, right? They did this back then. He wrote a pledge that he would give up drinking. And the whole time while he's writing the pledge, the young man, Joel, kept his hand right on the shoulder of John in support. Well, John did give up drinking, and he went on to become one of the most dynamic public speakers of his time. He spoke out against alcoholism, and he gave testimony to Christ all the time. During his career, he delivered over 9,600 lectures. You do the math on that, 9,600 lectures to more than 9 million people in America, Canada, England, Scotland, Ireland. His testimony went international. It went global. And one thing that he made sure to mention in all of his public speaking engagements was the compassion that he received from a young boy named Joel Stratton, who God used to help turn his life around. All because this young man showed compassion. Compassion is caring for someone and letting them know that you're there to help, even when no one else will. Saints, a compassionate Christian is a powerful Christian. Well, in a much greater way, Jesus shows us what compassion looks like in our text. The Pharisees knew nothing of compassion. All they knew were rules. What you could do, what you can't do. You see, in Jesus' day, the Jewish community was held to a strict way of living on the Sabbath. There were so many rules for obeying the Sabbath that it seemed impossible to follow it perfectly. They, if left up to them, they would have never helped this man, and especially not on the Sabbath but thank God for his compassion, amen? Amen. Jesus knew that for the sake of the Sabbath, no one else would lift up a finger, and that's what made him disagree with the man-made laws that they added to keep the Sabbath holy. He exposed them for adding to God's word and even twisting God's word for their selfish desires. And what did the Pharisees think of Jesus for doing this? I think about when I was younger. We had a neighbor that created a big fence around their garden. We lived in the project, so like they were the only ones with a garden. (laughs) So they took pride in their garden. It meant a lot to them to have this garden. They put a fence around it. They, They tried to keep the kids in the neighborhood from getting too close to their precious fruits and vegetables, and it worked. Until one day, some bad kid decided to tear down the fence and ruin the neighbor's garden. That's exactly how the Pharisees looked at Jesus. Like he was that bad kid coming in and tearing down the fence that they had put around the Sabbath law. Exodus 20.10 says not to work on the Sabbath day But the Pharisees, they created a fence around this law, specifically 39 rules so that no one would come close to breaking their precious law. But the more and more we look at the scriptures, we find out the law wasn't all that precious to them. They didn't actually love the law. They constantly broke it. They neglected to do good and they broke the law every time. They cared more about what others thought of them. They liked the idea of following the law, but the reality of it, not so much. They did not truly know or love the law of God. They couldn't see that the laws of God are meant to bring freedom and not restriction. I know that we have this idea that more rules, more laws, more commandments, these, these things that God sets in place are meant to restrict us, but it actually brings freedom Because when we follow God's law, it keeps us in good communion with God. It's a good thing that we stay close to God. Amen. I know we want to roam all through the back streets, but he's trying to keep us safe in the yard. (laughs) This is why Jesus didn't care about their fence, And he even argued that their fence was illegal. We have to be careful that we don't make the same mistake that we don't become like the Pharisees and put up all these extra laws and all these extra rules, telling people you're not a Christian if you don't. It's not enough to know the truth. We got to defend the truth. A major part of defending the truth is exposing the lies and separating from what's not true. And when we imitate Jesus in this way, We can't act surprised when opposition comes our way. We can't get surprised whenever we don't get the invite to come back. We can't be surprised when people that we used to be so close with are nowhere to be seen. We can't be surprised when we outgrow people that we used to be so close with. We can't be surprised when friends turn into frenemies and the crowd start to walk away, amen. amen? By defending God's law, Jesus had become notorious for breaking the man-made sabbatical laws. He was healing on the Sabbath, driving out demons on the Sabbath, and in Matthew 12, he takes things to a whole new level. I was rocked as I was reading this and studying for this sermon. Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples on the Sabbath and they were hungry. And what did Jesus do? He encouraged them to pluck heads of grain and to eat the grain. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. (laughs) You see, the Pharisees believed that they had the right to interpret God's word to fit their agenda. They created laws and added to God's word and Jesus rebuked them for it. Only God has the power to judge what could be done and couldn't be done on the Sabbath. So we see a little while after that, Jesus sees a man with a withered hand and he looks at the hypocrites and he asks them the same question that he asked them in our text today. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They needed to change their view of God's law. They had such a distorted view of God's law that they couldn't even answer this question, this simple question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? (laughs) You can almost hear the Jeopardy theme song playing in the background. (laughs) They had a bad view. They had a perspective that needed to change. And it's a shame that they couldn't clearly see what God wanted them to do. Now, even though people try to debate it, there is a right and a wrong way to worship God. And these men were not worshiping God correctly. Because to portray God differently than how he reveals himself is to worship a false god. R.C. Sproul said it well. The very essence of idolatry involves the distortion of God's character. If you do not worship and serve the right God, you worship a false one. These men couldn't do God's will because they did not know the true God. Therefore, how could they teach Jesus or any of us how to follow God's word? Jesus doesn't wait for a response. He just heals the man. Why? Because he knows it's the right thing to do. (laughs) He doesn't need to go back and check. Am I right? Am I within the parameters of the? There's no need for that. (laughs) He knows what God wants him to do. How is he able to be so bold? Didn't it bother him internally to see the Pharisees scrutinizing him and judging him and opposing him this way? Wasn't he conflicted in his spirit? How is he able to go against the laws of man and to feel so much peace in his heart while doing so? Because he not only knows God's word and has God-given authority, but he knows God's heart. I don't need to call up my wife and ask her, do you want a Lancaster cupcake? (laughs) I don't need to call her and ask her that. (laughs) I know she's gonna want that Lancaster cupcake. (laughs) When you know God's heart, you don't need to go and question yourself. You just do it. You can live boldly and your spirit can be at rest because you know and you do what God wants you to do. God doesn't want us to ignore someone's suffering in order to please man, God wants us to follow his law even if it means offending the world. He wants us to serve others even if it doesn't seem to serve our best interests in the moment. He wants us to speak truth even if it means being called a lawbreaker. He wants us to obey his word even if it brings opposition. Saints, we got to be content if the world opposes us for holding on to biblical truth. We got to find contentment even in those moments. Christ was able to find comfort in God knowing that he was doing the right thing. He knew that it would bring trouble and make him look a certain way to those on the outside, but he found rest in God's grace, and that was enough for him. Amen. Do we live like this? I pray we do as we come to our second point, point Point number two, the Christian finds rest, even in opposition. Um, verse five, we're able to see the heart of our text. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? That's common sense. (laughs) Jesus wasn't worried about what the world thought and that they were watching him. He wasn't worried about the religious men that were opposing him. Jesus had his heart set out to love his neighbor because he knew it was right. He was living, living the Sabbath, not just doing it. Even if it inconvenienced him in the moment, even if it brought controversy to his front door, even if it made him lose support, friends, made his reputation worse, None of that mattered. All that mattered to him was doing the right thing in love and in truth. First Corinthians 13 outlines it well. What matters most? It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I speak in the tongues of, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And here's the the main verse right here. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter that these hypocrites Follow rules, memorize scripture, and put more into the offering plate than everyone else? Were they focusing on the right things? Did they love their neighbor? Did they have love for God and for their enemies, their their friends that were in the community? Were they concerned with the things of God or the things of man? Were they truly keeping the Sabbath? Saints, I pray that we learn from the mistakes of these so-called biblical preachers. I pray that we focus on the heart more than the letter of the law. But people, Jesus tries explaining it in a way where they can understand. These religious folk, and this time, when I looked it up, I found that in the Qumran community, there was actually a law that Jesus was addressing in this text. The law in the Qumran community said this, let no beast be helped to give birth on the Sabbath day. And if it fall into a cistern or a pit, let it not be lifted out on the Sabbath. Even the Pharisees heard these rules and they thought that these men had gone too far. Yet they couldn't see their own shortcomings. They were able to point to the Qumran community and say, they're wrong. But they couldn't see the lack of love in their own approach. This happens often, doesn't it? We're able to point out the flaws in someone else's theology, but we forget that ours is still a work in progress, isn't it? (laughs) We can point out when someone else is tripping, but we never see it when we are. (laughs) Jesus makes it make sense. If they would help their son on the Sabbath, if they would rescue their animal on the Sabbath, how much more should they help this man in need of help? And that's just God. Sometimes he puts it in a way where we can understand him. Sometimes he comes right to our level. God has to, at other times, allow us to suffer, to bring us to a place where we can sympathize with someone else. Sometimes he'll allow us to go through some struggles and problems in our own life so that later on we can walk with someone else who's going through the same. Me and my wife were never able to sympathize as much with people who had miscarriages before we had ours. And then we had a few miscarriages and now we understand We understand why God allowed us to go through that suffering. Look at your situation now, the struggle that you're going through and ask yourself, what is God teaching you and how is he gonna use you later on? And as we're living this Christian life, as we're following and imitating Jesus and getting, exposing the lie and separating ourselves, we have to be okay with the kingdom of darkness hating us for doing the Lord's work. We have to be okay with that because if we were doing the Lord's work, the kingdom of darkness should not be happy at all. If you call yourself doing gospel work, being a Christian, living out the truth and the world agrees with you and you're friends with the world, everybody likes you, you don't have any issues, then you might wanna question You might want to question the way you're living, what you call your Christian testimony. If the world does not, if there's no one in the world that doesn't have a problem with you, doesn't hate you for your righteousness. (laughs) The Bible points this out, that living the righteous life is not going to be easy. We have to be okay with the scrutiny that comes with it, the opposition that comes from it. There will be times when you're doing good and no one else joins you as well. You have to be okay with doing good, just you and Jesus. I'm gonna hang out with this person and I'm gonna walk with them side by side, just me and Jesus. No one else wants to be with this person, no one else wants to help this person. They're too far out of God's reach. I'm going to walk with this person even if no one else does. But notice this. Even while Jesus is correcting them, he is exhorting them. He he pushes these people to do good even though they have a hard heart. Even though they're, they're, they're rejecting the truth that Jesus is giving them, Jesus still wants them to come to the truth. G. Campbell Morgan said, thus, while our Lord rebuked the wrong attitude and temper of these men, he did so by appealing to the best within them and calling them to be true to it. His purpose is not that of shaming men, but that of saving them. (laughs) Jesus still wanted these men to come to the truth after they rejected him time and time again. Do we have that love in our heart for people that have rejected us and rejected the truth that we've been trying to preach to them for years? Well, how did they respond? After Jesus shows compassion, love, verse six tells us, and they could not reply to these things. Not only did they choose to remain hard-hearted and unchanged, they remained silent. These men heard the truth, and they were left silent for the wrong reasons. Now, Jesus explained several times to these men that they were in error. He explained to them that true rest is found in resting in God's grace. They would find true rest if they only depended on him. Life is not about making yourself look good, but it's about living lowly, humble, meek, selflessly, knowing that when the time is right, God will exalt you. He declared to them that he is Lord of the Sabbath, which is crazy because he was the one who gave them these Sabbath laws that they were throwing in his face. They they threw the Sabbath law in the face and, and Jesus was looking at them and saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who gave these things. I have power, authority. I'm telling you that this is how you should rest. They rejected it. They could not understand that. When God gives us law, it's to make our lives easier. It's not to add a burden. It's not to make our lives harder. It's meant to lighten the load. It's meant to bring freedom. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All who come to Christ enter a real rest. Not just a one day rest from your work, but forever. No more dependence upon your works Moses gave God's people the Sabbath laws, and we see that they could not find true rest. Joshua brought God's people to the land flowing of milk and honey, prosperity everywhere around, and they could not find true rest. King David laid the groundwork for King Solomon to rule God's people in peace and prosperity, and they could not find true rest. Only in Christ do we find true rest. Hebrews 4 explains it well. Well, Christ tried to show these men with his life that the the Sabbath is merely a type of rest. The Sabbath day falls short because it only foreshadows true rest. From a theological standpoint, Christ is the anti-type of rest. The Sabbath day points to Jesus and the rest that we find in him. He gives us the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath, and he is the true Sabbath. And yet we look around and we see people continuing to seek a lesser version of rest. They work all these years neglecting their family, never getting close relationships with anyone because they just work, 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 so that one day they can rest. They don't understand that true rest is found in Christ. The same way that these men didn't understand that true rest was standing in front of them, showing them what true rest looks like. (laughs) True rest is resting in grace. These men heard, knew, saw the truth and still rejected it. They judged Jesus for doing God's will. But Jesus wasn't bothered, he was able to find rest, not because it was a certain day of the week. He found rest in knowing that God was pleased. He found rest in knowing that his place in heaven was reserved. He didn't need anyone's affirmation, but God's. That's all that mattered to him, and I pray we feel the same as we come to our third and final point. Point number three, the Christian finds rest, especially in judgment. I pray as we come to our conclusion that we learn what it means to rest in grace. Resting in grace is not something that we do once a week. It's an everyday reality for the Christian. Resting in grace is not looking to ourselves. Why? Because the more we look to ourselves, the more we see how we fall short and we keep working on ourselves, trying to make ourselves better, trying to make ourselves look presentable, we'll never find rest in focusing on ourselves. Resting in grace is looking to Christ, trusting him. What does he want to teach us? Where does he want us to follow him? How else can we worship him and serve him and glorify him? Only by resting In his amazing grace. And sometimes I wonder if we actually understand how much our good works and Christ-like behavior can impact the world. Jesus not only taught the watching world a lesson on who he is. Jesus taught the dying world, the sick world, and the needy world who he is. Not only who he is, but what he can do for them. Only in Christ Jesus can we find true compassion and healing and rest that was intended on the Sabbath. And if we live like our Savior, we can show the world the same. John Corson said, it is not our rules, our regulations, or pseudo-spirituality that will impact people. It is our love our compassion, our desire to help those in need that causes even the Pharisees to wonder. And here's the big picture. It doesn't matter that the world is watching. For real, for it doesn't. Amen. What matters most is that God is watching. Amen. Because in the, in the end, the world approving us, affirming us, can't help us. In the end, the world's judgment of us can only go so far. We have to be concerned with God's judgment. Have we entered into this true rest? Are we still striving to earn our rest, make ourselves better, or are we resting in grace? Are we being good servants as we rest in grace? (laughs) Are we living lives that glorify him? As children of God, do we love gathering with God's family? Do we find this to be restful? Because if we find this to be burdensome, you've got to question your heart. You have to look at yourself. It shouldn't be burdensome to be with God's family. As the family of Christ, do we love our brethren the way that we should? Because if we have Jesus' spirit, it may be difficult some days, but it's still possible to love our brethren, even if we don't always like them, amen? (laughs) As disciples of Christ, do we love our neighbor like our rabbi taught us to? If we look to Christ in all that we do and all that we say, we can imitate him by the power of the spirit that he's given us. Because in Christ Jesus, every day is a Sabbath. In Christ Jesus, we can continue to live in sabbatical rest. And in Christ Jesus, we find true rest. Saints, I pray that we continue to rest in his grace. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord we thank you. We thank you for the rest that we find in your son. We don't have to keep on trying to make ourselves look better. We don't have to keep on acting and putting on a mask in front of the world. We can live truly in your grace, knowing that you accept us even if other people reject us. We don't have to put on a front, Lord. You make us holy. We don't have to try to act holy. You continue to make us holy. Help us to rest in your grace. Help us not to keep on looking to ourselves as we are doing so. Help us to look to you the whole time. Help us to love other people. Help us to not care about what others think. Help us to show compassion the way that you did. We pray these things.